Hi, this is Steven. I once trained and worked as an actor in Hollywood. Today, I host Hollywood and Beyond podcast here in my hometown of Cincinnati, where I strive to bring you meaningful interviews. I hope you will enjoy my podcast. Thanks for listening. to a Hollywood and Beyond special presentation. Hi, this is Stephen. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond podcast. My special guest today is Danielle Dadigan, the founder and president of the Hollywood Museum, located in the heart of Hollywood itself. Learn about how the museum came to fruition and about the history of the Max Factor building where it calls home. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hollywood Hotel. Good evening. Just a moment, I'll connect you. Hooray for Hollywood. That's gooey, bally, hooly, Hollywood Where any office boy or young mechanic Can be a panic with just a good-looking pan And any shop girl can be a top girl If she pleases the tired businessman Hooray for Hollywood You may be homely in your neighborhood To be an actor, see Mr. Factor Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Imagine a place where you could go to visit that featured over 10,000 authentic Hollywood treasures and memories. Rare costumes, props and scripts, photographs and other vintage memorabilia from cherished films and television shows. There is such a place to visit in the heart of Hollywood, and it is called the Hollywood Museum. Located over at the historic Max Factor building, my special guest today is Donnell Dadigan, a remarkable lady who has done so much to keep the Hollywood spirit alive. She is the founder and president of the Hollywood Museum. In addition, though, she is also the chair of the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, the vice chair of the California Film Commission, and the president of the Hollywood Historic Trust that controls the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like I said, a remarkable lady. 
It is my honor and pleasure to welcome her to the show. Donnell Dadigan, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Oh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, I'm, as you're making an introduction of me, I'm thinking, who is he talking about? <laughs> I am talking about you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I've had such a wonderful time, I'll tell you, in my journey through Hollywood and creating the Hollywood Museum. And I so look forward to speaking with all of your listeners today. So this will be a lot of fun. It sure will. And, and I thank you so much for such a wonderful opportunity. And I thank you in advance for all of your amazing efforts to uh, keep the uh, memory of Hollywood and, and, and the look back to yesterday alive and well today. So thank you so much. I thought before we would discuss how this museum you know, even became a, a possibility, how about we start with you and how about we start with where you are from? Well, I am a native Los Angelino. I was born in Los Angeles and still live in Los Angeles. Very nice. And, um, you know, I've been a school teacher. Uh, I have uh, uh, ultimately, actually, there's a funny little story. My mother was a school teacher. My dad was a school teacher at what time? And then I became a school teacher. So, uh, you know. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that, and everyone always uh, joked about what school teachers were like, but we all agreed that school teachers, if they could inspire their students, their students would learn. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, my mother and I decided to open a museum. And we decided what was the most, actually, we asked ourselves, like, what, what was the most important and interesting? Uh, aspect of Los Angeles. What do people come from all over the world to see? And what is it that everyone recognizes a Los Angeles to be known for? We realized it's Hollywood. And so with that, my mother and I put our thinking caps on and uh, we proceeded to uh, draw up an idea of how to open a museum that showcased Hollywood entertainment industry uh, and we wanted to do it in the heart of Hollywood. So that's how we came to be. Well, thank you for sharing that. A, a family of school teachers. Uh, that's very impressive yeah. in and of itself. Um, <laughs> I'm very curious, though. You must have had a certain fondness for movies at an early age, I'm assuming. So my question to you is, what movies did you enjoy going to see as a child and while you were growing up? Oh, wow. That's a great question. That's a really great question. I have to tell you, um, I don't know necessarily that I remember what movies they are. Uh, and that's probably because being president of the Hollywood Museum, I shouldn't have any favorites. But uh, what I would say is it was the whole experience that I enjoyed, whether it was going to the movies with my parents at an early age, whether, uh, you know, and being able to stay up a little bit late and uh, be in a big theater with this entire darkened room around you with very high ceilings and, you know, maybe hundreds of other people sitting in the theater. And of course, I always had, you know, popcorn uh, because that was part of it. Uh, it was the whole, uh, I think the whole experience. And then later on going to the movies with my friends uh, and, pretty much doing the same thing, but, but it was a whole different feeling because here we were out seeing movies that maybe were more youth oriented 
uh, or more racy, shall we say, or more action-packed, because there was a very big difference, I do believe, in filmmaking uh, from the 60s and 70s, and then later on in uh, the late 80s and 90s and forward. Well, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you for sharing that. The idea to start the museum, once that sunk in, and you you had this vision uh, forming in your mind and, and, and all of that, searching for a location and building, was the this building the, you're at the top of your list for the museum? Well, actually, um, I would say at the top of the list was we wanted to be uh, near or on Hollywood Boulevard because I see there were tens of thousands of tourists coming from all over the world looking for the roots of Hollywood, looking for the roots of the entertainment industry. And there really was nowhere other than the Walk of Fame and the Hollywood sign, and studio tours at the different studios that you could take. But uh, there was no place where people would gather to be able to see the 100 years of Hollywood in a very objective and informative way. So my mom and I started to look. We knew we had to be near Hollywood Boulevard or on the boulevard. And, uh, you know, uh, Stephen in the late 80s, early 90s, you could have shot a cannon down the center of Hollywood Boulevard and there wouldn't have been one fatality. Let me just tell you, it was, there were no tourists like there are today. Businesses were different. The whole field, the whole atmosphere, the environment was very, very different. And uh, as it is a woman's prerogative, of course, (laughs) We we never take the easy route when we're hunting for something and we're looking for something. And uh, so we saw many, many different buildings on the boulevard, all wonderful, but they were all storefronts and there was nothing that distinguished them from one from another. And then we turned the corner on Highland Avenue at Hollywood Boulevard and saw the world famous Max Factor building that was where Max Factor once produced his makeup on the upper floors and uh, all the movie stars in the golden era of Hollywood, in fact, until 1970s, um, they came to get their looks in the world famous makeup rooms there, where there was the blondes only room where Marilyn Monroe became a blonde. (laughs) You know, she was already a blonde. Well, as a child, she was, but in her teen years, her hair turned darker as do most natural blondes. And it's where Lucille Ball, you know, really, when you think about it, it's so true. And uh, the redhead's only room where Lucille Ball got her red hair, uh, her signature red hair, you know, believe it or not, she was not born a redhead. And to quote her daughter, Lucy Arnaz, uh, she had mousy brown hair. (laughs) And then there's the brunette's only and the brownette's only room. So we came to see this building. It was not for sale, but the Max Factor Cosmetics Company had their own exhibit uh, there in the world-famous makeup rooms uh, showing what Max Factor did and how he created the looks for these great actors and actresses during Hollywood's golden era. And um, we thought, wow, this would be fabulous. wonder if this building, we could talk them into selling the building. 
Well, the long and the short of it is it took me two and a half years, but I did talk Procter and Gamble, uh, you know, the, the uh, soap kings. Uh, I talked them into selling the Max Factor building, but it was not for sale when we went to see it. We just went to see the museum that was inside. You were determined to, to, to make a deal, and it finally happened. Absolutely. And I should say that in the middle of um, my tenure as a working an adult, after I stopped teaching school, I sold real estate and became a real estate developer and speculator. So that real estate experience really helped me when speaking with Procter & Gamble. Oh, very interesting. That was a contributing factor. Very interesting. You know, I really appreciate your description of, of what Hollywood had become from its uh, golden years, uh, you know, classic Hollywood to a different atmosphere altogether. And I just wanted to say that, you know, thanks to uh, incredible people like you that made a difference, to, to make Hollywood different and, and to get it restored to how it should be. And it's very exciting to see that happening over the years. Well, I appreciate you saying that, you know, um, it's like many great cities. Uh, sometimes organizations don't come in to quote unquote rescue them until they've really seen a dark time. And we really have to give thanks to our government officials uh, who were in office at the time uh, in the nineties and two thousands. And especially today, as well as the community redevelopment agency, uh, we really need to thank them. You know, when I first was looking at this building, we had a wonderful councilwoman in Hollywood. Her name was Jackie Goldberg, and she's now head of our school board here in Los Angeles. And I have to say, she and my mom, you know, bonded beautifully, two ex-school teachers once upon a time. and uh, But they were very concerned about why I would want to do this uh, in Hollywood during such a difficult time. It was a difficult financial time and it was a difficult development time because uh, it wasn't that people didn't want to come and uh, develop a property. It was that the whole area had really gotten run down. And so with our government and city officials, the tide turned and with the community redevelopment agency who earmarked funds uh, for the development and the restoration of Hollywood Boulevard because we had the new Metro rail coming in. Um, it all seemed that there was possibilities. Now I have to say that I could never have done this alone. And I have to thank so many individuals, you know, uh, anyone who tells you they did it all by myself or all by themselves. Uh, well, maybe a certain part of it is so, but, the reality is that you always need help and there's always interesting people who you meet that may come in handy for something. And for me, I have to tell you, my mentor and my angel, besides my mother, was Johnny Grant, the honorary mayor of Hollywood. I don't know if you remember this man that used to give the stars out on the Walk of Fame. Yes, I sure do. He was quite a character. He... Uh, was beloved and he uh, was good friends 
with Gene Autry and Bob Hope. In fact, I remember going to Bob Hope's 100th birthday party with Johnny Grant, if you can imagine such a Wow. <laughs> yeah. That, that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, and forgive me, I'll, I'll just be rambling on because, you know, when I look back on my travels of how I got to uh, do the museum and open it and it becoming the official museum of Hollywood today, uh, so many stories do come to mind. But I, as I said, you know, uh, we had great government officials, whether it was our original councilman, Jackie Goldberg, who uh, inspired me not to give up, um, whether it is Today, he is our mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti. Uh, he was councilman in our Hollywood district at the time. And it was under his watch that I was able to move forward uh, with so many different protagonists uh, nipping at my heels uh, to want to find reasons why I shouldn't open. Uh, but he uh, helped me very much see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and direct me toward it. And uh, he and his staff were fabulous. And then we have our councilman today, uh, council member Mitch O'Farrell, who actually worked with Eric Garcetti and was our Hollywood deputy at the time. Uh, Eric was our councilman. And Mitch is a true believer in the arts and in the culture of Hollywood. And uh, everything that uh, helped to tell that story, uh, he completely recognizes and understands what it is and what needs to be done. And I tell you, uh, I have had a great experience with our councilman uh, and his staff uh, ever since he took office, which was like, I don't know, seven years ago or something. It was like kind of amazing. To think of. And I knew him uh, years before that when he was our Hollywood deputy. But uh, with uh, Council Member O'Farrell, we actually do every year a wonderful exhibit, and we do it with uh, the Councilman's office, and it's our LGBTQ exhibit, our annual exhibit. And our goal is uh, to be able to share the stories of the LGBT community uh, that are on air, whether it's television, whether it's film, and talk about the characters uh, and uh, the uh, actors who portray these characters and their storylines. So we've really come a long way in that when I first started, uh, I knew no one except for Johnny Grant. And today, uh, we even have the city of Los Angeles and the councilmen of our district participating in exhibits here at the museum. So that's a long way of, round of saying that, you know, we went from zero to uh, 60 miles an hour. It may have taken us, you know, a long time, but we have not given up and we are thrilled that we're able to produce and present to the community. I appreciate you sharing that. It, 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 so well said, all that you shared. Obviously, it is teamwork that, that does make a difference and, and people who are sincere and passionate uh, about uh, bringing change or restoration to such a place that holds uh, a special place in so many people's hearts. And that's, that is Hollywood. And I really uh, enjoyed listening to your, to your answer. Thank you so much. And before I um, uh, ask you some questions about the museum itself, would you mind if I took this time to just ask you, since you knew him, you know, how would you describe uh, Johnny Grant, the man? Well, 
Johnny Grant was bigger than life uh, in stature, even though he was, you know, maybe five foot six in height. And uh, he was someone who knew everyone and everything that had to do with Hollywood. And he was someone who gave his time to every organization and every activity because he wanted to. He was a good man. He truly was. I can say it now. He lived at the Roosevelt Hotel in the penthouse. And uh, that was his command post. You know, that was it. And uh, <laughs> it, it was amazing who he knew. He knew so many of Hollywood great stars. I met so many people through him. And what was so thrilling was that because Johnny Grant gave an endorsement to what I was doing, uh, I had the ears and eyes of these great celebrities, not only from Once Upon a Time, but current uh, from the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And so one thing led to another. I mean, whether it was you were breaking bread with them and listening to their stories, uh, whether they were telling you uh, about the collections that they had from their old films or their television shows, I find it very, very intriguing that a man like Johnny Grant would have time for someone like me. I was just a young girl uh, who knew nothing about Hollywood, so I thought, and um, that he would take the time to teach me and show me the way was so important. And in return, I did all sorts of interesting things with him. Everything we did. It was an outing. It was extraordinary. <laughs> well, what a remarkable man. Thank you for sharing some memories of Johnny. I really appreciate it. He always seemed to have a smile on his face, and, 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 and I was um, very saddened when he passed away. I really appreciate you, you sharing your memories of him. And, and Johnny Grant, one of the things about Johnny Grant was that, you know, he was the MC for all the Walk of Fame ceremonies, and he uh, was head of a chair of the Hollywood Historic Trust. And when he passed away, he left me in charge of the trust. And so, uh, for me, it's a very big honor to be able to follow in his footsteps. And I was so well uh, talked by him you know, uh, that uh, I just couldn't imagine not doing what he would want to do and what he would want to have seen done. Well, I, I was not aware of that connection. Uh, wow, that is, um, that is very interesting. Yes, what an honor for you to have that connection right there. Well, he couldn't have left it in better hands, so... Um. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And I'm curious, what was the condition of the Max Factor building when you finally were able to purchase it? Was it in very good condition or was there any restoration issues that needed to be uh, attended to? Oh, my goodness. Well, if your listeners could see me, they'd see I had a big smile on my face and I'm trying not to laugh out loud. Uh, but, oh, my. But I must tell you, it was in 
uh, oh, it was in a, a very neglected condition. And uh, oh, the see. upper floors had finally been closed off, windows broken, birds flying all around upstairs. And these upper floors were where Max Factor used to have his original factories where he manufactured his makeup product. And um, downstairs uh, where they had the Max Factor Museum of Makeup, um, they had approximated sort of kind of what it looked like uh, during the 1930s, Hollywood's golden era. And um, the building uh, was declared a historic landmark building. And um, when we purchased the building, our goal was to restore it back to that look. And would you believe I found an original set of plans and it called out uh, all the different colors of paint. There's only one problem. You know, um, we didn't know exactly what those colors would look like. So we had a building historian and conservator that came uh, and worked with us and helped identify that these were paint colors by the family-owned and operated paint company, Dunn Edwards. And... You know, in you've heard the expression six degrees of separation. Well, yes, yes. Well, uh, it just turned out that it was maybe one or two degrees that I <laughs> was able to meet the man who was the chairman of the board of Dunn Edwards. And when he was 16 years old, his dad was president. And he was the lowly gopher in the paint mixing department that would take his bicycle and deliver paint samples to different customers, and they would try them and decide which sample they liked the best. Well, Dunn Edwards was located years ago on Highland Avenue, maybe 10, 15 blocks south of the museum the Max, in the Max Factor building. And the chairman of the board of Dunn Edwards, who was in his 80s at the time, said, I remember riding my bike here, and in the basket in front, I had small quart sizes or pint sizes of paint samples that were to be painted on the walls to see if they met with Max Factor's approval. And he said, and I remember there was one color that I couldn't understand. It was the most puke-colored green you had ever seen with a darker green. And he said, I couldn't imagine what you would ever use that for. He said, but he chose that color. And so I'm telling you this because it was like a treasure hunt for us, uh, trying to find information and figure out how to use this information to recreate what the Max Factor building, it's world-famous makeup rooms and its lobby and exterior looked like during Max Factor's heyday. And so we had so much fun. And along the lines of learning about the colors and the marble and the faux finishes on the walls and ceilings and the trompe l'oeil work that was used for the painting, um, 
we learned that the reasons for these most interesting colors, the redhead's only room was this god-awful green, the blonde's only room was light blue with a darker blue contrast, the brunette's only room was a a soft, dusty rose pink with a darker, darker, deep pink trim, and the brownette's only room uh, was uh, beige and mm, peach color. Now, I'm going to interrupt myself and ask you, Stephen, do you know what a brownette's only room is? And I'm not entirely certain I do. Well, don't feel bad, because uh, would you believe when I bought the <laughs> building, I did not know what it was either. I had to study and learn. Well, that makes me feel better. <laughs> well, you know, brownettes was, <laughs> Max Factor thought that most women who had brown hair were brownettes, and that was anything from a medium brown all the way to a dirty blonde. Okay. And okay. so, but getting back to this, we had so much fun creating these colors uh, based off of the names that were put on the original set of plans dated 1934, uh, that we then began to understand why these colors were chosen. And it was because Max Factor all of a sudden was charged with the necessity to create makeup now that could work with three strip technicolor film. It was because of the invention of three strip technicolor film and the hot lights that were used to bring these colors uh, uh, that could be captured by the camera's eye and lens that Max Factor could no longer equate, you know, uh, pure white and pure black and hundreds of shades of gray tones in between uh, to make it look like Somebody had dark hair, light hair, uh, had uh, 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 narrow nose, uh, heavy eyebrows, um, uh, beautiful shaped lips. Could not happen anymore with the approximation. It now had to be realistic, and reality set in because of this invention of three strip technicolor film. So Max Factor, uh, in his infinite wisdom, uh, created these makeup rooms that had these different colors in them because his concept was color harmony. And uh, I don't know about you, but I remember when I was very little, my mother would tell me, oh, don't wear that color. That's not a good color for you. Um, uh, I think you'd look better in this color or you'd look better in that color. Uh, I don't know if that ever happened to you or not. It, it did a few times. And so then I'm going to ask you, tell me, how many times do you have friends who change the color of their hair? They change it up and it's a fabulous new color, but it just doesn't look good on them. And you don't know why. <laughs> Has that ever happened? Hmm. Have you ever seen that? I have to say that I, I have a few times. Yes, but we won't say who with who. But yes, it does That's happen. Right. That's right. And the reason is very <laughs> simple. It's not that it's a bad head color. Uh, it's just that that hair color is not the hair, natural hair color that went with the natural color complexion that the person has. And so what many people don't realize is when they change their hair color, they have to change the color of their makeup, their foundation, their eyeshadow, uh, their eyebrow pencil, the color of their lipstick. Uh, you know, until I bought the Max Factor building, well, first of all, I never wore makeup. I was not into it. Uh, which seemed to have been a shame, but uh, I did learn very quickly if I owned the Max Factor building uh, and was going to tell Max Factor story, I better learn to wear some makeup. 
And I quickly, (laughs) we laugh about it, but it's very true. I quickly learned that that, uh, (laughs) that all of a sudden uh, there was red lipstick and then there was red lipstick. Some red lipstick had Mm -hmm. an underlying orange hue. Some had an underlying blue blue hue. Some had an underlying brown hue. And as a result, uh, those different undertones made all the difference if a blonde should wear that red lipstick, a brunette should wear that lipstick, a redhead should wear that lipstick, and so on. And so it was all because of the invention of color harmony uh, that Max Factor came up with these color palettes and shades and very, very uh, important, uh, and it certainly changed the way makeup was applied, the colors that were used, and it did something very interesting. Max Factor then realized, because now the invention of three-strip technicolor film, that not only did it have to be realistic, but guess what? Women from all over the world wanted it. And so he realized but there was this stigma that was attached to women who wanted to wear makeup if they were not in the entertainment industry. So if you weren't surfing on stage or standing on a sound stage in front of a camera, you were not to wear makeup because that was considered product for hussies. And in the 1930s, we all know what a hussy was, don't we? <laughs> A prostitute. I think so. Yes, I think so, yes. too. And so <laughs> Max Factor changed that stigma so that a little bit of makeup, if prudently applied, would be acceptable. And high society women flocked to be able to come to get makeup. Lipstick, eyeliner, eyeshadow, a little bit of cheek rouge. And Max Factor had to create uh, the uh, entrance, uh, the lobby uh and the entrance where Max Factor sold makeup to the public, he had to make it look fit for, uh, you know, royalty. And hence, that is exactly how we have restored it to look like it looked in the 1930s when women first came to buy makeup there. Fantastic. What, what a fabulous uh, explanation and, and sharing the history of, 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 of Max and the building and the museum. I thank you so much. And before I ask you a few questions about some of the exhibits that, that folks can see at the museum, you know, you, you have me thinking about those women from classic Hollywood. There's just so many beautiful women, uh, the hairstyles, the way they dressed. Uh, it was just really a special time on the silver screen. Yes, yes, it was. It's phenomenal. You know, um, and we have so many of their costumes on display with the great costume designers, Edith Head, Ori Kelly, uh, Nolan Miller from Dynasty Time, uh, from television. Wow. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I really invite all of your listeners to come and see the exhibits. There's, we showcase uh, more than 10,000 exhibits uh, spotlighting the Hollywood entertainment industry over the past 100 years. And this is four floors, is that correct? Yes, it is. And is it true that there's also a floor underneath? Yes, that's very true. Uh, It uh, used to be, during Prohibition days, it used to be a bowling alley and speakeasy. 
And I know this to be oh, true. Wow. I know this to be true, not only because we have photographs, but I know it to be true because would you believe my godmother, uh, whose father was a vaudeville actor and whose mother came from one of the original five Spanish land grant families here in California, she lived up uh, above Hollywood Boulevard with her parents on the hill Whitley Heights, and they had a beautiful view from downtown all the way to the ocean. But certain nights, uh, they would come to Max Factor's building to go to the speakeasy. And every so often, they would bring their daughter. And she would sit. She was, believe me, there was no such thing as 18 years old and older uh, for any of these places. And I think they were such good clients that um, they would park her in a corner and they would enjoy themselves. And my godmother would say she couldn't understand it. There was a bowling alley down there. People were dancing. And her parents even danced with coffee cups in their hands. And she thought, oh, my goodness, <laughs> my parents are addicted to coffee. She said, only later did <laughs> oh. I realize, she says, it was homemade bootleg gin that Max Factor's mm. brother, Jake the Barber, made next door to uh, the museum, <laughs> uh, which is now Mel's Drive-In, if you can imagine. So, okay. There's there's a great wow. history there. There sure is. Well, I love coffee. I just have to tell you that. So I at first I was like I, I can understand that, but <laughs> then of course there was a little bit more to that story. <laughs> what kind of coffee do you like? <laughs> and what kind? Of I coffee? like strong. Well, first of all, it has to be fresh. But sh- I like a strong taste, like a fresh, strong. Uh, co- usually a Colombian coffee, but 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 a sh- kind of a little kick to it. Got it, got it. I don't. <laughs> I do too. I like a nice strong cup of coffee in the morning. Oh, absolutely! And my coffee is world famous. So one day, if I make it back to L.A., uh, maybe I'll be able to make you a cup. All right, or I may come to yours. <laughs> there you go. Well, you have shared so much about the history of the museum. And I would like to say that I do hope you will come back to discuss some of the exhibits and things that, that, that people can see when they're there. But this history lesson of the museum and also of Hollywood has been just so enjoyable. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. How can folks out there learn more about the museum? There's a wonderful website. Yes, there is. And that's www.thehollywoodmuseum.com. And um, we are on Facebook and Twitter uh, at The Hollywood Museum and Hollywood Museum. There you go. And I'll be sure to uh, share some information on the Hollywood and Beyond social media pages. Thank you once again. You were just a a fabulous and wonderful guest. And I enjoyed every moment speaking with you. Please come back soon for part two. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much. I had a great time, Stephen. You stay safe and you stay well. I will. Send host Stephen Brittingham your comments and questions to Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. Stephen looks forward to hearing from you soon.